The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran meditation hmm i get the feeling it's not what we think (laughs) do you practice it did you used to did you find it boring or uncomfortable or is it where you get your brightest ideas and your most inspired inspiration not to mention your greatest peace well we are going to ferret all that out today with dr sumit ball he's an md a vegan and a dedicated meditator he has a lot to share Hi, everybody. I am Victoria Moran, host of the Main Street Vegan Show. Welcome, welcome to, gosh, some of my favorite people on this entire planet, listeners of the Main Street Vegan program. If you're new, bless your heart. Welcome, welcome. And if you're a regular, we'll just bless you a whole bunch of times. It's wonderful, wonderful to have you. If you love this program and you've never given us a shout out on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen, a nice review and maybe five bright shining stars, oh my gosh, that would be so, so appreciated. Thank you very, very much. And if you would like to be part of the inner circle of the Main Street Vegan Podcast, we have a very lively, active, and friendly Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group. So uh, check that out. We would love to have you join us. You can talk about what you hear here, what you get out of the programming, what kind of programming you would like to see, uh, questions for me. And we sometimes do giveaways or we have special questions for a guest before the show happens so you can get your questions answered personally. It's really a a great, um, great thing to be a part of Main Street Vegan Listeners Group on Facebook. But now let me introduce our wonderful guest. He's going to be with us for the whole Hour and some of the input actually that I've gotten from the listeners group and elsewhere is that you guys like the shows where we talk with one person 
for a long time <laughs> that really gives them enough of an opportunity to share where they're coming from. So we're going to do more of these shows with just one wonderful person. So today, that wonderful person is Dr. Sumit Ball, an interventional radiologist who performs minimally invasive image-guided procedures. His passion is guiding his patients and community to lead happy, healthy lives through daily meditation practice and a plant-based diet. He lives in Brooklyn, New York, with his wife and absolutely adorable 11-month-old son. Welcome, Dr. Sumit Ball. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, and it's absolutely a pleasure <laughs> that a busy radiologist manages to take an hour in the middle of the week uh, to do the show live. It means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. So interventional radiology, I'm not sure most of us know what that is. <laughs> sure. I get that question a lot. Basically, what we do is we use x-rays, CAT scans, ultrasounds, basically various types of images to do procedures, basically to operate on people. So rather than having to open up someone, we can actually use tiny little punctures, whether it's directly from the skin into the organ that we're trying to target, or it might be through the blood vessels. We'll access arteries and veins, and through there, we can treat um, blood vessel disease, whether it's arteries or veins. We can treat cancer, kidney cancer, liver cancer, um, and we can get, you know, diagnoses with biopsies, lots of different things, and all, they all the patient basically has at the end of the procedure is a Band-Aid over the puncture site. That makes me so happy because in some ways I love where medicine is going. In, in many ways I've kind of avoided Western medicine to the degree that I've been able. I've done very well with Ayurveda and, and some other things that are, are, are different, but just this morning because I injured my wrist. I was traveling and didn't know that because of COVID, they won't let flight attendants touch luggage. So I had to, to heave my 60-pound suitcase into the overhead. And in doing that, I, I sprained something in my wrist. So I went today to see a physiatrist and learned that he was part of a practice that includes internal medicine, uh, chiropractic, acupuncture, physical therapy, it was just like, if that's the direction that we're seeing, then things look pretty good for healthcare going forward. What do you think? Uh, I would say so, yeah. I mean, we're, right now, what we're doing is taking a lot more of a, a holistic approach. So we're trying to look at our patients as people, right? They're not just a medical problem uh, to be solved and to be treated. They are, they are actual people with likes, dislikes, aches, and pains, just like the person who uh, is doing the treatment themselves. And I think with that, we're taking a lot more of an integrated approach. So it's really nice to be able to go into a place and see that, you know, everything from top to bottom is, is being offered. And that's sort of the approach that we try to take in my practice. That's wonderful. And, and you know, people are already falling in love with you and they wish you were their doctor. And guess what? He's also vegan. So how did that come about? <laughs> so we're going on about no, almost four years now. And I would say that two major things happened. One of them is my mom's sister in India. She, is, she lives in New Delhi. She is vegan. And she'd been talking about it for quite a number of years. I've been vegetarian since 2004. 
so about 17 years now, but I was never vegan. I actually thought veganism was like, I was like, oh, vegans, they're, they're crazy. Like, that's way too much, you know? That's overboard. <laughs> not really, you know, and I'm sure you've heard that. I, it's, it's not something I would have ever really considered, but she was talking about it over some time, and it was the first real-life exposure I'd ever gotten to veganism, and then What the Health came out. And once I saw that, my mind was blown just to, uh, from the compassion side of things, to, you know, how we treat others, how we treat animals, how we treat sick people, to just all of the industry ties with regard to the medical research. I was like, this is kind of shady. This is kind of scary. And I'm, I'm, and I'm part of that group of people who's treating people. And I, I said, I can't, you know, I have to practice what I preach. If I want to be healthy, then I need to live that for my patients as well and be an example they can follow. So that movie was instrumental in me uh, in starting that process. And ever since then, it's been a really wonderful journey. That's great. Now, were you a meditator before you were a vegan? I was. I have been doing meditation since around 1997 or so. So we're going about 24 years, you could say. Uh, I've been doing it quite some time, yeah. Well, we're going to find out how that happened. But because you mentioned your mother's sister in India and that she's vegan, I did want to do a shout out to um, a blog post from Nivi Jaswal. She's been a guest on the show. And that is actually uh, at the top this week at MainStreetVegan.net. And it's called, How Did the Land of Ahimsa and Ayurveda Become So Dairy-Obsessed and Diabetic? And Nivi goes into great details about what's happening in, in India health-wise and dairy-wise. And so much that we think is, is the Indian connection to dairy because of religion and tradition is very much a lot more modern and commercial. This is an absolutely fascinating post. So I would highly recommend that if you're interested, uh, you go to MainStreetVegan.net and check on blog and read How Did the Land of Ahimsa and Ayurvedic Become So Dairy Obsessed and Diabetic? So 1997, you started meditating. How, why, and what kind? Yes. Yeah, so I, from a very young age, even before then, I was always questioning everything. I, my mom describes me, I don't describe myself this way, but my mom described, described me as like a little Buddha, you know? She huh. said we would just be driving in the car and you, you were asking me questions about life. I, I was like eight years old or so. And I used to ask her things like, why are we here? What happens after we're gone? What is, all, what is this whole life about? And growing up in a, you know, I'm Punjabi, so growing up in a Hindu and Sikh background and seeing it all, my, my greatest issue was that we're, we're seeing a lot of rituals and we're seeing a lot of external manifestations of whatever we perceive God or spirituality to be. But I, I used, always used to ask, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And so around uh, 1997, my mother was in a bookstore uh, in Atlanta, which is where I grew up, and someone saw her looking at this book, and, and it's called Autobiography of a Yogi, written oh. by Paramahansa Yogananda. And she was looking at that book, and he said, oh, what, you know, do you know anything about Yogananda? And, and she said, uh, not really, but my father gave me a copy of this book 
many years ago, and here I am in this bookstore, happened to be looking at it right now. He said, well, if you're interested, we have a meditation center not far from here if you're ever interested in you know, checking it out. So she did, and she came back and told me about it. And she said, I've got a really wonderful opportunity for you, and this is literally learn how to do the meditation. It will cost you nothing other than the pieces of paper from the lessons. It was like over a 20-year period, it's like, you know, spent like 30 bucks on it. That's it. Uh, it won't ask you to change who you are. It won't ask you to be a different person, just to evolve within yourself and learn the techniques and learn that love and compassion are the foundations of everything. This is the conversation I'm having with my mom at the age of 14. And, and I said, that sounds awesome. I'm happy to, happy to go. And then once I was exposed to it, I can't say it became a regular practice because I was still a 14-year-old just like everyone else. You know, I was hanging out with my friends and I played high school football and I had the whole experience that any, uh, you know, American kid would want when they grow up, but I was still sort of in the back of my mind always looking for more. And as time progressed, the more and more advanced I got in terms of techniques that you can do. And the one that I practice now since 2005 is called Kriya Yoga. And Kriya Yoga is basically a form of meditation where you're channeling energy in the form of breath up your spine. So you're visualizing the energy as it travels from the base of your spine up to the top of your head. And, uh, and there's some pretty cool experiences and I think life-changing uh, events that, that, that have happened since then. It's been a really amazing experience for me. Well, I love this story, starting with your mother's experience in the bookstore. And I have a feeling that a fairly high percentage of people who have read Autobiography of a Yogi have some kind of experience like that. In my case, it was the favorite book of my first husband, who tragically uh, passed away at, at the age of 39 back in the 1980s. He, he just lived and breathed this book. And I guess because he liked it so much, I just thought, well, that's his thing. And that's a great big thick book. <laughs> I don't need to read it. <laughs> and then in probably 19, no, 2015 or so, so we're talking 30 years after his death, I was in London and a friend had said, let's go to the Spiritualist Association and get readings. And I thought, okay, I'm up for anything. So she was called in for her reading. I was sitting in the waiting room, and they had a little free book giveaway place. Well, there was Autobiography of a Yogi. So that was how I got my very own copy, I guess, at the time I was supposed to find it. And it was it was absolutely stunning. And that was around the time that the film about uh, Paramahansa Yogananda came out. Do you happen to know the name of that documentary? Yes, it's called Awake. Awake, yeah. And, and that was just amazing. So I came back from London and it was playing in an actual theater here in New York City. I went with my husband to see it. So I just love these things that, that just seem like life gives us serendipities when we can use them. So for just regular people out there who are thinking, you know, if I had half an hour to, a day to sit and meditate, I would already be calm and peaceful. What do you tell them? Where do they start? There's a nice phrase. That they, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but they said, if you, uh, if you don't have time to meditate, that's when you should meditate more. And so 
and I'm kind of I'm kind of summing that up. I'm paraphrasing, but but basically that's that's the idea. You really do learn how to prioritize it. Almost, I don't want to say above everything else, but you do find a way to more than fit it in. You make it a part of your life. You don't forget to brush your teeth in the morning. You don't forget to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. To go to work to hang out with your family, you know, your your spouse, your children, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it might be, you don't forget to meditate. It's just it's just that important. It's like it 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 is actually air. That's what it is for me. Um it's like breathing air. It's it's, it's a must do whether it is a one minute of just stopping everything, putting the phone, social media, family, even just one minute. Put it put that away or if you can do longer Sometimes I get 30 minutes. Sometimes I get 45 minutes a day. The longest I've ever done is six hours. Not everyone can do that. That took years of practice. But I think the idea is regularity, believing you can actually do it, not starting with the limitation that, oh, it's too hard, there's no way, I don't have time, or I can't concentrate. If you keep saying those types of things, you're just going to affirm them and your brain is going to believe them and you'll it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Stay the counter, which is no matter what, I will just do it, even if it's a struggle. And whether you're spiritual and you believe in God or not or whatever your faith is, just say to yourself or say to the universe or say to God, whoever you want to speak to from the language of your heart, you know, I just, I'm too stressed right now or I'm just not feeling so good. But you know what? I'm here and I'm going to do it anyway. And you'll notice that as you do it, that one minute might become five and that five might become ten and you're doing it every day and you just want more and more and more. And that's how you develop a regular practice. So how often is it recommended to meditate? I've heard morning and then I've heard morning and late afternoon. Mm -hmm. What would be ideal in the real world? In the real world, ideally, would be morning and evening. So you might do it first thing in the morning before you go off to work. Ideally, before you start interacting with lots of people. Uh, and, you know, checking social media and the news and all that type of stuff, it can get in your head very quickly. And what it does is it creates so many inputs in your head that when you sit down to actually meditate, those things are starting to run. It's like a movie going on in your head and you're just watching all the images go by. So ideally you're doing it before you have too much interaction if possible. But that's, that's the morning time. And then in the evening, once you've kind of settled yourself, if you can do it before dinner, that's great before you know you go on a full stomach, but even if the only time you have is after. I think the best type of meditation is the meditation that's sustainable for you. So, and when I say time, I know people have limited time. I'm only talking about, you know, let's say five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. Out of a 24-hour day, I think we could all reasonably say that we've got 10 minutes to do it. Yes. So, for a, a rank beginner, somebody who just doesn't meditate at all, get, give us a technique, give us a practice, some instruction for where someone could start. I think mindfulness, that concept of mindfulness is a really great way to start. It's very well known. It's probably the most well-known form of meditation. And the idea is to sit in a quiet place where you're going to be undisturbed. So again, the phone on silent and no one can really bother you. And you sit with your spine erect in a chair or on the ground, whatever is most comfortable for you. Ideally with your back off of the back of the bed or the chair, wherever you're sitting. But if you, if it's tough for you to support your own back, it's okay. Just make sure you're comfortable so you can 
sit with your with your spine erect up against something if that's more comfortable. And you take your your hands and, and and flip them as if you're holding a you know like holding a plate. So your palms facing upward. And just relax the back of your hands on your thighs. Your back is straight, your hands are relaxed on your on your thighs with the palms facing upward and your chin is parallel to the ground and you gently lift your eyes to the point between the eyebrows. So not not above that, just the exact point between the eyebrows. And you just close your eyes and you just watch your breath. And when I say watch your breath, that means just be aware of it. In through your nose, out through your nose. Just being a passive observer, not trying to speed up the breath or slow it down. Just accepting the reality as it is accepting the rate of your breath as it is, and just watching it go in and out on its own. And then as thoughts start to come in, just accept them. Say, oh, okay, back to the breath. And then you might have a couple of seconds of just pure awareness of the breath, and then another thought comes in. No worries. Just say, oh, I started thinking about something. No worries. Back to the breath. And the more you do that, the less mental disturbances you get till you get a you know, pretty good level of stillness. And that's basically uh, mindfulness meditation. It can be done alone, ideally, and then eventually the more and more you do it, you might find yourself saying, oh, it's beautiful outside, it's sunny, I want to listen to the birds, and then you might want to do it outside. Uh, that's fine, but I think a great way to start to really get your concentration in is to do it alone in a, in a quiet place. That's beautiful. And what if that's just maybe too simple for some people. What if somebody wanted a mantra? Can you suggest any of those? Sure. So the idea of a mantra is that it's it's something that you can fixate your mind on onto. So in Hinduism, for example, Om is a very common common one. So on the inhalation, you might be, and you don't say this out loud. You're just going to be saying it internally as you inhale and you're watching your breath go in. You say om on the on the exhalation om. It might be for someone of a like a Christian orientation. It might be amen, so, um, and then and like the you know the, the second phrase of the syllable on its way out. Um, and for some people, I've, I've, some of my uh, friends of a Jewish background, I told them shalom is really good. That's peace. So I think sort of these. It might be a one one syllable phrase or a two syllable phrase that's broken up on the inhalation exhalation anything that means something to you that's going to bring about peace but the idea is you're attuning that to the natural flow of your breath wow and veganism and meditation where do those juxtapose for you for me personally when I became vegan and had already been meditating for so many years before that, it was a natural progression because veganism at the end of the day is about more than diet. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. And I love that as I was getting to know you more, one of our mutual friends introduced me to you uh, through email. And as I, as I got to know who you were and, and, and just, I said, it's so wonderful because everything Victoria is talking about is, she's not talking about ways of eating. She's talking about ways of living. And that's what I loved about this. And this is why I'm so happy to be speaking with you because that for me is 
the foundation for why I'm vegan. It's about compassion, compassion for yourself, for your own body. That's the health component of it. But compassion for your, like as a physician, my patients, so I don't have to keep treating their diseases. I can actually prevent some of their disease. And then for the animals and the environment. And so with that, where that leads with, you know, kind of connects with meditation was meditation is all about realizing your oneness with everyone and everything and something far, far, far beyond an existence that you could possibly imagine. That is actually in the here and now. We're just kind of clouded by it. Like the sun is behind the clouds, but the sun is still there. So it's a matter of moving that veil away and saying, oh, there's that light. It's within me. It's around me. It's everywhere. But veganism fuses with that beautifully. And so for me, it was a natural progression of those two. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. And I wonder sometimes why more people who meditate haven't come to veganism. And and many are not even vegetarian, even though they're doing this practice that helps us know that we're all one. Why do you think that is? I think that when you are eating something and it didn't harm any anything or anyone in the process, you do feel a sense of, I don't want to say relaxation, a sense of satisfaction, like a, a simple smile on your face. And I'm sure you felt this too when you went to a place and didn't expect to be served vegan food or that you didn't think it was going to be a vegan option and then someone was able to offer you that and the sense of joy that you felt because it almost like brings tears to my eyes every time I go to a place and it's like, oh, we can, we can have this vegan option for you and then they give it to you and you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was just going to starve but I was here for the experience so I thought I was going to eat when I got home, you know? We've all experienced that. And when you know that you got to live by your guiding principle of peace and compassion, and it comes through something that you do two to three to sometimes four times a day, uh, you, you just feel so peaceful. There's no other way to describe that. And I think that's why people feel that way. Uh, that's why they feel a sense of unity, because they feel like no one was exploited in this process. And, and everything it's giving me is something that's not increasing inflammation in my body, not increasing my chances of cancer. And it's so holistic because if I'm healthy, therefore I'm around longer to be there for my children. I'm, I can be a better person. I can contribute more to society because I can live a longer, happier, healthier life and make greater impact. And I'm not dying. Let's, of let's stop with greater impact. We have to go to break. So that's a beautiful image to hold while uh, listeners are enjoying these messages from Unity Online Radio. We will be back. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Wonderful to have you as ever. And I do have a question for you. Would you like to take your vegan outreach, your activism, your sharing this wonderful way of life with your friends to the next level, maybe to the professional level? Well, then I would suggest that you look into Main Street Vegan Academy. We have been educating vegan lifestyle coaches and educators and certifying them. We are certified by Go Veg, uh, B Veg, I'm sorry, uh, B Veg International. And when you take this course, you learn from some of the best and the brightest in the vegan and plant-based worlds. We've got um, Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan from Our Hen House, Dr. Robert Ostfeld uh, from Montefiore Medical Center, um, Dr. Milton Mills that you know, he's an emergency uh, intensive care uh, physician and and great input on YouTube. We have um, Joshua Catcher, wonderful fashion designer, Chef Fran Costigan. I mean, it's really like a who's who (laughs) of, of vegan royalty. And you get a connection to your classmates and through a private Facebook group, everybody who has been through the Academy program before you. So we have now over 500 graduates in 31 countries on six continents. So the, the connections, the networking, it's just unparalleled. And, and the program, which was always in person before COVID, it is currently on Zoom and we're looking for uh, the opportunity to have an, an in-person class next year. But, you know, however you do it, it is absolutely magical. It's, it's a stunning, stunning life experience. People always say to me afterwards, next to having my children, this was the best thing I ever did. So give it some thought. And then stop in at MainStreetVegan.net. You can click on Academy or just go to MainStreetVegan.net slash Academy. Uh, read up. If you've got questions, just be in touch. And uh, we would love to answer those for you. It would be a, a real pleasure to have you as part of the Main Street Vegan Academy family. So moving on to more fascinating conversation with Dr. Sumit Ball. And speaking of Instagram, I think I spoke of Instagram. I mean, this man is just tearing up Instagram. So you, you've got to follow him. It's Sumit, S-U-M-E-E-T, Ball, B-A-H-L-M-D. 
So uh, you guys follow each other and have lots of fun there on Instagram because he's really got his Instagram (laughs) down pat. Maybe you can teach me something someday. So let's talk a little bit, Dr. Ball, about how your medical career relates to veganism and meditation. You know, you've got all these interesting things going on that seem to uh, intersect. So let's put your MD with your meditation and your veganism. Sure. So from a day-to-day practical perspective, I would say that when I'm operating on a patient and things are going south, which happens, the more and more procedures you do and the more complex they are, it's given me a sense of calmness. I think if you can control the, the energy of the room, the more your staff can get behind you in getting done what needs to get done. And I've been in situations where patients are crashing on my table and we think about how are we going to manage this particular situation. And I have just stepped back for a moment and taken a little breath and just reassessed the situation and say, okay, what do we need to do next? And what are my support systems? What are my, what are my bailout mechanisms to help me in this situation if I do the next step? And it's been very, very helpful in that way. It's, uh, I've also used it with some patients who were very anxious when I, you know, placed them on the operating table before we started giving them any sedation or anything. It was really just, you know, wash your breath, just like I was, as I was instructing before. Be aware of it, and as we get started, just keep washing, watching your breath, watching your breath. And I've asked the patients after the procedure, how was it? And they said, that helped so much. So that's been from an operating standpoint. Um, then with regard to my medical career in veganism, this comes in with just a lot of the procedures I do. There, there are so many things that we do to our own minds and bodies with respect to our, our diet and lifestyle that is preventable. So many diseases are, are preventable. As we know, for example, one of the biggest ones, red meat and colon cancer, uh, dairy and prostate cancer, dairy and breast cancer. And I treat a lot of those diseases or at least the complications of them and patients will ask me, you know, is this anything I could have prevented? Or what, what can I do down the road? And sometimes if there's no definitive data to say that these two things were studied, I do let them know that, but I say these are the, the known associations. And that's something that comes up regularly. So for me, the best treatment really is prevention, and I think a lot of my patients have really enjoyed that. Oh, that's wonderful. And I also love how this instant meditation actually works. It works in a very stressful situation. I think a lot of people look at meditation and, you know, you talked about you once meditated for six hours and probably we know people who have done these like 10-day meditation retreats and we have the idea that, oh my gosh, you know, maybe that'll be something good if I could devote five years to it. But the idea that that you can just talk a patient into it at a time when most people wouldn't be calm and have it really help them, that's stunning. Yeah, they, I've gotten great feedback from that. Uh, I think that what they want to do, as I was saying earlier, it's not about uh, a, a, like a, a, way, a, like a lifestyle or way of eating or, or the practice itself. I'm speaking of veganism and meditation here. It's not that. It's about people. At the end of the day, I'm not a doctor and they're not a patient. I'm a person and they're a person. And so if you can get to that fundamental concept and meet each other on the same page, 
you really start functioning in a way where rather than I'm the doctor treating this person, I think of it like I'm a person trying to get on the same frequency as this other person. I'm trying to connect with them and, and, and empathize with the way they feel as best I can. Of course, I've not been in that patient's particular situation, but really try to connect on the, deep, on the deepest level that we can. Of course, it's hard to do on every single procedure. Not everything's like that, but when the patient really needs it and I see they're receptive, once in a while we do kind of vibe on that level together. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that you use vibe as a verb. Uh, <laughs> so you have done some work with uh, Hip Hop is Green. We love Hip Hop is Green. We've had uh, Keith Tucker, the founder, on the program, and we've had... Um, um, ah, uh, New York City hip hop is green. Fred Beasley uh, on the show, I think, a couple of times. So tell us what you have been doing with them and why you love that concept. Well, as as most stories these days, I will say I'll preface it by everything that I was able to do with them was quickly stopped by COVID. But <laughs> uh, where it all began, though was just, again, this all goes back to social media. I, had just, I was following the Hip Hop is Green page, and then I saw that it was an NYC Hip Hop is Green chapter, and I sent a direct message to Doc G and told him my story, and he said, I would love for you to be a physician arm of what we're trying to do. And the first time I'd ever really gotten connected, there was, there was a, an event that happens here in Brooklyn. I live and work in Brooklyn, and it's called Black Veg Fest. And basically, you know, it's just a big street fair of vegan food and vegan lifestyle and everything. And I went there, and he introduced me, to, Doc G introduced me to a, a, a hip-hop duo who I've been a big fan of for many, many years, Dead Prez. And I got to meet them, and I said, wow, these guys are infusing one of my favorite art forms with veganism. I can't, I can't believe these two things are coming together. And then more and more, Doc G had let me know that this event is happening or this event is happening and I would show up at those events. And, and one of those things that was really wonderful for me was going to a really well-known uh, music production studio where I got to speak to a number of college kids about how veganism has met meditation, how it's met, uh, met my medical work, and then at the end of the day, how it all was intertwined with hip-hop. And I couldn't imagine that four loves of my life were all happening in one room together. <laughs> And that was a, that was a dream. That was yeah. That was that was a dream for me. I gotta say. And as he and I started working, you know, communicating a little more regularly. Of course, shortly thereafter, COVID hit and it substantially stopped anything that we could do in person. But what I will say, I've regularly communicated and I've shared. I've tried to share on social media at least what the goals are, and I've really tried to, from a from a physician perspective, how do you make? I mean, hip hop's already cool. So how do you make medical care and veganism cool? And I think the fact that hip-hop is one of the leading forms of pop culture we have today, you name it, some of the biggest artists in the world, they are, they are hip-hop artists themselves. And so, so many of them who are going vegan are sharing their progress in that type of lifestyle, whether they've started to dabble in it or live it through and through it's something that's moving a lot of people. And especially what we're seeing here in Brooklyn, uh, there's so much growth of veganism in the black community. And, and, and the majority of my patients are Afri African-American and Latino. And so we talk about how they're disproportionately affected by 
COVID, well, it's not that COVID is selecting for them. It's that they've already got pre-existing conditions largely based on their, uh, you know, being in food deserts, largely based on the fact that they don't have exposure. They have the intelligence. They have the, the, the you know, the desire to, to live a healthy, happy lifestyle. It's the thing is they're not, they're not taught that. And I can even see that in my own hospital and other hospitals. It's just they're not offered that. So what I've found is that through my inspiration from NYC Hip Hop is Green, what I've found is that if you can sell it from a broader perspective, from a, from a, from a pop culture perspective, people are saying, wow, I didn't realize they eat like that. Oh, I want to do that for myself. And I think that's what's been really uh, awesome about the infusion of these passions of mine. Oh, that's so cool. And it, it is a wonderful organization. You mentioned Dead Prez, and I just want to get a word out for one of my very favorite books that we have covered on the show. It's called uh, Brother Vegan, and uh, Stick from Dead Prez is one of the contributors. Uh, essays from um, black vegan men on society, culture, nutrition. Um, so wonderful, wonderful book if uh, you haven't picked that one up yet. So I want to talk about, oh, my gosh, the controversial subject that my grandmother told me you don't talk about in polite society, and that is religion. Maybe because she told me that is why I got a degree in comparative religions. But <laughs> you kind of grew up in in a dual religion family. Of, of Hinduism and, and Sikhism. And I would just love to have a kind of um, overview of, of beliefs from both of those traditions, particularly as they relate to Ahimsa and veganism. So both religions are founded on the idea of oneness, oneness with everything oneness with all, oneness within. And Hinduism is the older of the two religions. Sikhism didn't come around until the 1400s. But, but you know, Hinduism's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And the premise, originally as it was, was all about going within, as we were talking about when we were going through the meditation. It's, everything's about going within. What happened over time is that it became externalized to a point where Rituals started going in, you know, becoming more prevalent. And that was because it, it's hard to meditate. It's hard to, to find yourself within. So it became an external uh, representation of God as we describe him or her. And it's taken on thousands and thousands of deities. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Hinduism is, is about one God, one, one, you know, one force that's behind everything, but it's got different manifestations. So a God of wealth, a God of education, all aspects of our lives, but it's still unified by one God that centers it all. And then in the 1400s, Guru Nanak, he's the founder of the Sikh religion. Uh, the, the, the founding of that came from the idea that, again, we are all one, but he was pulling away from the external representation. And Think everything ultimately comes from knowledge, knowledge of yourself. And, and that was something that really jived with me a lot more. Even though I was born in a Hindu household, the thing was being Punjabi and, and having a family from Punjab were very in touch with the Sikh culture. And my mom was very active in the Gurudwara, which is the, uh, the Sikh temple. 
and she used to sing there, and still does to this day, sing there regularly. And I used to go with her when I was a little kid, you know, five years old, I used to listen. And the songs were just so beautiful, and I used to see the translations too, and as I saw it more and more, I said, wow, they're really teaching you to go within, and the music is just utterly beautiful. And now how all of that relates to Ahimsa is that they were ultimately trying to go to, uh, again, unity. Unity, unity, unity was the very foundation of all of this. It was not to, there was no judgment. There was no, if you do this, therefore you're bad. If you don't do this, therefore you're good or whatever. It was, that's not how the religions are structured. They are ways of living. They are philosophies rather than religions. And so the idea is be kind to yourself and be kind to everyone else. And I, w- I could sum up this discussion by saying that there's a, there's a, in yoga and meditation, we often think about Hindus saying, you know, the, the word om this universal sound. Well, in Sikhism, the sort of sort of equivalent of that is ik onkar. So it's got that on sound, right? Ik onkar. Ik means one. Onkar is that universal sound, one word. So om is considered a universal sound in Hinduism. Ik onkar is that universal statement in Sikhism. And as notice how I said universal, what is the universe? Uni one verse word. So whether you're religion or religious or not, you still live in the universe. And so people who don't even like to refer to God necessarily will say the universe. I'm like, hey, you know what? We're all speaking the same language. It's all one. And I think that's the premise of all this and how it relates to ahimsa and veganism is that you're not going to harm anything if you are one with it. Oh, that is that is really beautiful. You're also taking me back to an earlier time in my life when I was raising my daughter in Kansas City, Missouri, and we were vegan. And at that time, there weren't a whole lot of vegans in, in the Midwest. There are now. Kansas City is just a wonderful vegan town. But um, at that time, um, we had a few vegetarian friends, and one was an American Sikh family, and the children were my daughter's best friends. So they went to Chandigarh for uh, a year to go to school, and we went over and visited them. And it was just the most beautiful city, and and people, the men wore turbans of all these beautiful colors, and you just see people out on motorcycles with these wonderful colors. It was sort of like we were no longer in Kansas, but it felt like we'd gone to Oz. So I have this wonderful, <laughs> um, wonderful feeling about six and about that um, beautiful trip that we had. So I just looked back, but I want to ask you to look forward, and that is the the future of your profession. On the one hand, the technology, it just keeps going forward and forward and bigger and bigger, and some people would say, well, that just makes it all more expensive, and there's a healthcare crisis, and how are we ever going to be able to pay for it, regardless of what kind of system we come up with? And yet, I feel from the outside a lot of hope about where healthcare is going. How do you see that from the inside? Oh boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> that, gosh, to I, I, there's times I'm optimistic, but honestly, to be very honest, I'm not always. And I wish I could give a a better picture than that. What I find most challenging is that we're not really empowered as physicians to help prevention. 
because such a small portion of our medical training is actually even related to diet and exercise, we're not really pushed to to take patients down that route. It's mostly about treatment and addressing a problem that's there once it's already happened. So I think it a lot of it falls on these conversations that you and I are having. A lot of this falls on physicians who are willing to go the extra mile to try to educate themselves and therefore educate other people. I think that's going to be the major thing that will help change the direction we're going is education. Because if if the federal or state governments won't do it for us because there's a lot of financial gain in people being sick, frankly speaking, one of the major things that has to happen then it's got to be in the hands of the people who are going through it. And And I often remind my medical students, I said, you're about to be doctors. Doctor is Latin for teacher. If you are not teaching your patients and your staff about how to empower themselves to be healthy, then you're not a real doctor. It's not just about doing life-saving treatments and all the type of stuff that I do. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing someone go from sick to sometimes near death to well and walking out of the hospital. There's no satisfying feeling like that. But at the end of the day, I wonder what could I have done or what could this person have done to prevent that? And that is where I think is going to be the, 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 the saving grace, but also the resistance to it is the biggest challenge because there's so much to be made on the pharmaceutical and insurance side of things. I don't think it's all dark. I just think a lot of it is going to come ultimately to the people and their education, which is what's so wonderful about prayer for compassion when you produce that. It's what's so wonderful about what the health and all these various things that are coming out there in pop culture, because now it's available. No one can say, I didn't see that movie on Netflix. Like, it was the algorithm offered it to you. You know, it's there. It's there for you to see. And I think that's how we're going to improve our health. Ah, we know what, brilliant. what options are there. So what do your medical colleagues think of your diet? <laughs> Most of, a lot of A lot of them think I'm crazy. But I will say that social media has helped me not feel alone. So let me know how many physicians there are who are vegan or at least promoting a plant-based diet, even if they're not fully vegan themselves, they're dabbling in it. But then I feel less alone and I feel more empowered. And, and I'm a baby in the process, to be honest, when it comes to the social media side. But I will say the people who've paved the way have empowered me to feel like, yes, I can do it too. Within my hospital, it's, it's, it's not growing as much as I would like. I've opened the discussions here and there, but it's a, it's a slow-moving process. And I've, and I've worked with people who are like, uh, you know, if, if we keep preventing all this, then how are we going to place those stents in that person's arteries in their legs? You know, that's a $4 billion industry. I'm like, you know what, though? Would you be saying that if it was your own mother or father or, or, or cousin or aunt or whoever? Like, you wouldn't be saying that. And so... That's, I think, I think the people who can make the change are the ones who are willing to stand up to that criticism. And I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can with it. But it's a very slow-moving process. Oh, good for you. And you did allude to hospital food. It seems to me, I used to think fast food was the worst food there was, but now I think hospital food is worse. Why is it so bad? And can anything be done about it? The way it was described to me is, it's cultural. Uh, it's a cultural thing. So being in Brooklyn, we offer certain types of food to 
the, like the Afro-Caribbean population, for example, uh, fried fish and things like that. And I said, well, what, okay, I, I, don't, I don't eat fish myself. I don't agree with the industry. I think Seaspiracy helped with that, elucidate a lot of things. But if it's a part of a cultural thing, why does it have to be the fried version of it? Can we at least wean ourselves off the fried version and go to the, maybe the grilled version and eventually away from it? Couldn't we do that? But then people kind of say, well, no, it's a cultural thing. This is what uh, this is what the people here, the patients and the people who work here want. And that all I can do is open that discussion and try to push for it more. But that's where it comes from. I will say some hospital systems are, are doing a great job. Advent Health in Orlando. I was just in Orlando over the weekend, uh, part of the Seventh-day Adventists. They, they are purely vegetarian in their whole hospital system. And as we know, they've been major proponents of veganism. That's so wonderful. I would love to be able to reproduce that in here in New York, but a little more of a challenge. Yeah, that that's a great system. I just remember visiting somebody in a hospital, and she asked if I would go into the little kind of community fridge and get her some applesauce. And I pulled it out, and, you know, regular applesauce is apples, sugar, and water, or you can get the kind without sugar, just apples and water. This, I'm not sure it even had apples it was it was this chemical <laughs> mixture that absolutely horrified me and and i thought i'm not even sure if they sell anything like this in in grocery stores but i guess it has a lot to do with food service distributors and what they have and who they work with so it's like you say, sometimes we just have to take this stuff into our own hands. And if you know somebody in the hospital, bring them some stewed apples <laughs> yeah, exactly. from your own kitchen. Exactly. So I cannot thank you enough. This has been an absolutely blissful conversation. And I hope that everybody listening thinks so too. Uh, Sumit Ball, MD on Instagram, S-U-M-E-E-T-B-A-H-L-M-D. And we will put that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Ball. And thank you, listeners. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for being with us for low these nine years. I think this is episode number 435. Oh my gosh, we're edging up on 500. So to everybody within the sound of my voice, may you be blessed and may you enjoy eating all your veggies. Take care till next time. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests 
and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.